strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi, and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. And I'm Jen. And today we're going to talk about the lost land of Doggerland. Like dogs? Dog, dog, dog. Doggerland. Doggerland. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll tell you. So the area known as Doggerland is a real life Atlantis. Not the mystical kind of underground sea life land, but this is actually a real community that sunk and people are now finding artifacts that show life in an area that is no longer existing. And it's not like one of those like uh, TVA planned floodings where they flood towns and they're at the bottom of nope. lakes or anything? Nope. This is nature and mother nature itself. Oh, Lord. You know it was an earthquake. Mm. There are so many different theories. It's ridiculous. They can't tell? They can tell certain aspects, but since it's so old, it's... How old is it, Robin? I'm going to get to it. Okay, so the land occupied a great portion of where the waters of the North Sea extend. So after the last major ice age, about 12,000 years ago, the area got flooded over time by rising sea levels. Doggerland eventually became submerged, cutting off what was previously the British Peninsula from the European mainland, at around 6500 BC. So it's like between France and England? Okay. I don't know. I'm still so confused. Okay. <laughs> it was the bridge, actually. So we'll get into it. So named after the Dogger Bank in the 1990s, which was named after the 17th century Dutch fishing boats called Doggers, the existence of Doggerland was the first mentioned in the 19th century book, A Story of the Stone Age by H.D. Wells, set in a prehistoric region where one might have walked on dry land from Europe to Britain. But H.G. Wells is um, a fiction author, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, I'm in for it. Let's do this. So the landscape was a mix of hills, wooden valleys, marshes, and even swamps, and was considered a major land bridge. The ancient region was inhabited by thousands of Mesolithic Stone Age settlers. Mesolithic people took advantage of Doggerland's rich migrating wildlife and seasonal hunting grounds that has been evident in the ancient bones and tools that have been embedded on the seafloor and brought to the surface by fishing trawlers. According to evidence that was gathered, scientists believe that the Doggerlands were nomadic hunter-gatherers who migrated with the season. They lived on hunting, fishing, and gathering foods such as berries, nuts, and mushrooms. Over time, the area was flooded by rising sea levels after the last glacial period around 6500 to 6200 BC. Melting water that had been locked away caused the land to tilt in an isotetic adjustment as the grand weight of the ice had lessened. Doggerland eventually became submerged by leaving only Dogger Bank, which was possibly glacier debris, as an island around 5000 BC, when Dogger Bank was then also taken by the sea. So theories say that the land had vanished due to the melting of the ice. About 18,000 years ago, the seas around the northern Europe were about 400 feet lower than they are today. Britain was not an island, but an inhabited northwest corner of Europe, and between it and the rest of the continent had stretches of frozen tundra. As the world warmed and the ice receded, deer and wild boar headed north and west, and as they moved, so did the hunters. Another theory says that much of the coast that remains and the low-lying islands were flooded around 6,225 through 6,170 B.C. by a mega-tsunami that was caused by the Storgeas Slide. The Storgeas Slide was a landslide that involved an estimated 180-mile length of coastal shelf in the Norwegian Sea off the coast of Norway, which caused a large tsunami in the North Atlantic Ocean. Okay, so here we go. 
So there's some land. A lot of land. There's a landslide. The landslide is so large. Off the caused coast, a tsunami. It caused a tsunami that then covered the land bridge with water. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking big landslide. Yes. 180-mile-length 180, 180 coast shelf. That's a lot of land. It's a lot of land. It doesn't really say exactly. Why did it landslide? Oh, that I don't know. But it it doesn't actually give a, not yet, because there's actually, there it's, it's underground. So they, they don't give you a measurement of how long this bridge is between uh, France and Britain. But it is large enough to inhabit people to come back and forth. And lo- large enough to be covered and make Britain an island. So it's at least like 30 kilometers wide. But I mean, I don't know from what point to what point this land exactly, went, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because then you're talking about Norway. Well, I'm going to get into more areas. It, okay. re- it It's so widespread. It goes north, south, east, and west. It's all over the place. So a study published in 2014 suggested that the only remaining parts of Dargaland at the time of the Storia slide were low-lying islands, but supported the view that the area had been abandoned about the same time as the tsunami. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Trying like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. <laughs> Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Another view speculates that the story of tsunami devastated Dagnerland, but then ebbed back into the sea, and that later Lake Agassiz in North America burst, releasing so much fresh water. That sea levels over about two years rose to flood much of Dargerland and made Britain an island. There have been discoveries within Dargerland region that includes the remains of mammoth, rhinos, and a bunch of different types of hunting artifacts that have been dredged up from the sea floor in the North Sea. So they're doing like underwater archaeology to find this yep. stuff. There's actually legit people trained in underwater archaeology. To go there and dig through all these different, yeah. different types of artifacts. They gave a class in that where I got mm-hmm. my master's. <laughs> Absolutely. So in 1931, a famous discovery was made. A trawler brought up a huge lump of soil while fishing near the Hour Bank, about 25 miles off of the English coast. The soil contained a barbed antler point used for harpooning fish that was dated back between 4,000 and 10,000 B.C. There have been many other discoveries in the region and many prehistoric artifacts, such as textile fragments, paddles, dwellings, just off the coast of Denmark. There were also settlements discovered within sunken floors, canoes, fish traps, and a number of burials in the Rhine Delta of the Netherlands. I wish I could see a picture that would show me from where to where they think it was. Pretty sure if you look up Doggerland map, you Google that, maybe they'll just show you, like, before and after. So divers even discovered certain fragments that ended up being patches of prehistoric forest. 
Scientists have also digitally reconstructed nearly 18,000 square miles of the submerged landscape, an area that is larger than the Netherlands. You find it? It's like a whole other country that was just north of Belgium and the Netherlands and kind of puzzle pieces Mm -hmm. onto the eastern coast of the UK. So it's just like a whole nother, it's like Michigan. Yep. It's pretty big. Yeah. It shows like the extent of where they think the land was 10,000 years ago. So to get an idea of exactly how large of an area that we're talking about, it would probably be best to just go ahead and Google a map really quick and then you can mm-hmm. kind of like wrap your head around Absolutely. Yeah. Um, exactly what we're talking about because the geography is a little bit difficult to understand if you are not super familiar with that region. That's huge. That's what she said. Never to me. So another discovery was <laughs> another discovery was a skull fragment of a Neanderthal dated at over 40,000 years old and was recovered from material dredged from the Middleip about 10 miles off the coast of Zealand, which is the westernmost point or province of the Netherlands. But in March of 2010, it was reported that recognition of the potential archaeological importance of the area could affect the future development of offshore wind farms. A paleontologist named Dick Mall persuaded... <laughs> I knew it. Richard Mall. Richard Mall. Um, Darth Mall's older, mm-hmm. pretty asshole brother. Dick Mall persuaded, uh, persuaded a fisherman to bring him the bones and to also note the coordinates of where they have been found. In 1985, one captain brought Mall a preserved human jawbone complete with worn molars. With his friend, fellow paleontologist Jan Glimmerveen, Jan and Mull had the bone radiocarbon dated and turned out, and it turned out that the jaw was about 9,500 years old, meaning that the, invi- that the individual lived during the Mesotheric period. Jan Glimmerveen had said, we think it comes from a burial, one that has lain undisturbed since that world had vanished beneath the waves about 8,000 years ago. This is like crazy prehistoric. It's a whole fucking new world. Yeah. And it's not like the mystical like ideas of a lost city or anything like Mm-mm. that. It's just an actual entire piece of land that's underwater and is just. That's what they keep referring it as. Like, oh, the real life Atlantis. I was like, no, no. But it's, it's no, so much more is, than that. This is like pre-everything, you know, and it's just it's. Yeah. Archaeologist Martin Bell from the University of Reading and his team have been excavating the area for 21 years. One August day during a very low tide, Bell and his co-workers were out across the streaming mud flaps, past huge black trunks of prehistoric oaks lying preserved in the mud. They arrived at a ridge that about 8,000 years ago had formed around the edge of an island. A team member blasted the ridge with water from a high-pressure hose, and suddenly, ancient footprints were seen within the floor, 39 in total. They were made by three or four individuals heading in both directions along the ridge. Martin Bell says that they may have been heading out from their campsite to check on their fish traps in a nearby channel. They also discovered numerous camps. These camps inhabited an extended family, probably around eight to ten people per site. The oldest campsite would have been submerged by the very high tide, so it seems that these sites were not permanently occupied, which continues with the theory that they were seasonal hunters. Well, I mean, during that time period, everyone was a hunter-gatherer. Yeah, there was like, no oh, organized... Let's go to right, let's go to left. Yeah, there were no organized villages or societies. Mm-hmm. People moved in small groups. They moved towards the resources they needed. They mm-hmm. moved towards the weather that they wanted it to be. Depending the on the time, of, Right, depending on the time mm-hmm. of year. I just... Isn't it mesmerizing how they can use a hose... Hose. Underwater to blast something and then find footprints. How were the footprints? Oh there? no, this wasn't. This was above ground. Oh okay. Mm-hmm. 
Even so, how do you blast something and then find a footprint? Was it a fossilized footprint? It was a fossilized footprint. It's crazy. And what was remarkable was that they were in a certain area where there was just prehistoric trees next to them that had been preserved because they went like, during low low tide. So they work around. They're their own hunter-gatherer kind of situation. <laughs> exactly. They work around the weather and they, you know, they can excavate where they can dependent Thank on you. tides. Exactly. That's what, I, that's what I wanted to say, but cauliflower up to my fucking neck. Guys, we eat a lot of cauliflower. I just, you need to understand that it's our vegetable choice because we try not to eat too many potatoes as most people try not to eat too many potatoes. But oftentimes before we record, we have eaten cauliflower mashed potatoes and we get a little, little gassy. Not gonna, we're not going to lie. So you may hear some hesitancy or some uh, deep, deep breathing. breathing. <laughs> I don't have asthma. <laughs> I have cauliflower mashed potatoes. So the remarkable thing that they found was that the campsites also seemed to be reconstructed, which shows evidence that the occupants kept coming back and rebuilding their camps from damages and overall changes that occurred year after year. Season after season. So summer and autumn would have been the best time to come to the coast with the grazing of the march attracting wildlife to hunt, and there would be plenty of good fishing and many berries and nuts to have. Other finds of larger artifacts suggest that the people uh, like the later North American hunter-gatherers, came together for annual social events, possibly in the early autumn, when the seals came and the salmon were flowing. The study of this long-forgotten Stone Age habitat is important so that we can learn about the ultimate outcomes of potentially rising sea levels. Experts who study and research Dogmaland are attempting to connect the events that cause the disappearance of the land to present-day possibilities. Some scientists believe that a similar situation could happen if the polar ice caps melt, potentially affecting more than 1 billion people who live within 37 miles of the shoreline. Uh, such as us. Me, yes. <laughs> such as, um, what are we, four, five miles from the shoreline? About. Going down I, with the ship. I can see it from my roof. So the story of Dagrelin is just a cautious warning as the power of nature wields and shape the landscape through climate change. And here at Notorious Narratives, we believe in climate change, unlike Robin's Tinder date. Uh, it wasn't tinder my god please everyone out there men if you're listening if you are maga if you are um against the lgbtq community if you perhaps don't believe in climate change those are things that a woman wants to know yeah yeah one one person told me to find god yeah yeah prior to uh beginning a conversation those are real they could be real deal breakers i mean i think it's fair to say that, um, you know, those are important personality traits that a person might want to say no to. Prior, I gotta go. <laughs> prior to being across the table from you. <sighs> anyway, back to Doggerland. Had this, like, research and done for weeks. I know. This didn't inspire her to, no, like, research this topic. It but it was certainly on her mind when he said, well, I don't know about climate change. Doggerland. <laughs> You're like, let me tell you about Doggerland, sir. Oh. I will tell you about climate change that destroyed a civilization 10,000 years ago. Well, okay, I'm going to I'm going to take that and I'm going to move with it because my next little bundle of information is what if Dagerland survived the warming temperatures? Okay. What if there was no tsunami? Okay. Let's go for this. So, for Dagerland to remain above sea level, the climate of the northwest Europe would have need to be cooler and drier. Arctic ice sheets may have invaded as far south as the northern regions of Canada, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia in the same way that they still cover Greenland. 
With the effects of the Gulf Stream blunted, there would have been notable changes in the climate of the British Isles. Winters would have been around 5 degrees Celsius cooler, bringing the average December temperatures in London to about 2 degrees Celsius. Okay. In the drier conditions, England's green and pleasant land and the green grass of Wales and the Emerald Isle of Ireland would have been less verdant. The landscape of northern Scotland would possibly be a tundra and year-round of ice. Huh. Interesting. So you think about all the British and like Scottish history and all the different all ice. medieval right th- those those civilizations would never have existed there exactly so it's an inter- it's an interesting way to frame climate change so what would happen now right so I'm going to get into a little bit deeper because I was down the rabbit hole people like Alice if Britain and that all of those countries were ice what would happen so. Apparently, the Mesolithic people who originally inhabited Darglin 10,000 years ago would have not had to retreat from the advancing sea. They would have likely stayed and multiplied in their location rather than redistributing their genes to other areas surrounding the North Sea. By the same token, though, the pre-existing land bridge linking Europe together would have made population migration more free-flowing both internally within Northwestern Europe and externally by migration invasion to and from the East and the South. The result would have been a much more complex genetic picture. So the effect would have been to erase virtually every human being born since then. The human population would have thrived, but every historical figure that we are familiar with, plus ourselves, family, and ancestors would have never been born. Some cultural impacts are tribal groupings and languages all of those would have diminished. We wouldn't have all these specific languages. It would actually just probably be one or a few, depending on those little rural yeah, I still areas. Think it would, I still think it would be a few because you would still have like the major Asian continent, mm-hmm. the like deep continent of Europe. You would still have Africa. So, I mean, I think that there would still be a lot of other languages, but I do think about like when you talk about invasions mm-hmm. and how much easier it would have been for like a Germanic people to like take over like the area of Great Britain, Scotland. A lot all they faster. would have had to do a lot just faster. walk there. Just they wouldn't walk. have had to mm-hmm. have made boats. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think that one of the... Uh, one of the things that I've read was that there was imagine I don't know I could I, I could be wrong on my estimates don't quote me but imagine 500 years ago there was 11,000 languages in the world currently today we're up to about 5,000 and change what happened to all those other languages well it was globalization it was invasion it was all of the different yeah. aspects that changed different Culture cultures collapses in on itself and it exactly. combines into like these you know awesome salsas <laughs> you know alone they are only tomatoes and onions <laughs> together they are so, a delicious salsa <laughs> so let's also think about different types of skills right so skills required to manufacture copper and then bronze would probably have transferred around Europe at a much faster rate, ushering the Bronze Age into Britain earlier. Trade routes would have changed due to port locations. Would the Industrial Revolution have happened in England in the 18th century? Britain's greatest deposits of coal and iron ore would still exist, but without northern England's damp climate for manufacturing of textiles, fast-flowing streams and source of power, and a British empire to provide a source of raw materials and marketplaces and manufacturing goods and industrialization and everything else would have happened elsewhere. It's a real trippy shit, Robin. (laughs) I feel like I'm in a Doctor Who episode. I know. Where's my TARDIS? (laughs) It's like you went in the TARDIS and you stopped the landslide and you didn't know the repercussions. But just 
overall, just think about the aspect. You know, yeah. what would what would happen if Europe was covered in ice and was still pretty much like Greenland today? I'm just saying it's fucking crazy that a whole country is underwater. It's not a little bit in it's that, not Atlantis. It's in a fucking huge but thing. It, yeah, it's so ancient that it's really... I mean, it, it there was changes. a Neanderthal bone found forty thousand right. years old. It changes everything about human and human history. Mm-hmm. That area sinking made human history be what it is, especially yep. in that area. It's crazy. So that is the story of the lost land of Dagerland. Just another notorious narrative. If you enjoy our episodes, you can also go to patreon.com slash notorious narratives, where you can access exclusive content. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to be notified when a new episode is available. Keep it weird and never stop exploring. <laughs>